The microphone fell. The microphone fell. Oh! Oh no! Wow. Anyway. Our mission to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Make it so. Welcome back to the Next Next Generation Podcast. I'm Catherine. And I'm Charles. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 14, Angel 1. Can we just stop right there? <laughs> okay. The title. The title. I thought it was a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. They call their leader, Elected One, yeah. of Angel 1. Yeah. It's kind of a mouthful, first of all. I think it would have been cooler to call her the Electorate mm. of Angel 1. Or the Electress. Ooh, I kind of like that. Yeah. Like Mistress, Electress. Yeah, because they do call them Mistress. They do. Yeah. I would have liked, actually I was thinking this during the episode at the beginning, if Starfleet had used Angel 1 as the planet's classification. Right. But on the planet, they were like, ugh, yes, that's such a stupid name that the Federation uses. We call it whatever. That would have been much more yeah. realistic, I think. It's a weird name because they use Greek letters for most of the planets. Mm-hmm. Or some made-up word that sounds futuristic. <laughs> Angel is strange. It's too English. Yeah. It's supposed to be an alien civilization, mm-hmm. not an Earth civilization. So they shouldn't be using English words for them and their planet. They're not speaking English. It's being translated. I know it's Star Trek. We got to kind of blow past that yeah. huge problem with the communication. But the title is a bit of an issue. I like your solution to that problem much better. It just makes sense that that's the Federation's classification, especially because they don't have much contact with this planet. Yeah. They don't know what they would want as the inhabitants of the planet because they're not part of the Federation. Interestingly, the Federation seems to want them more than they want the Federation. So the episode begins with some background. The Enterprise is really just passing through the neighborhood, but they talk about this Federation freighter, Odin, that sustained asteroid damage in the region. Three escape pods were jettisoned at that time, and they assume there should be survivors on Angel 1 because that's the closest Class M planet. So they're finally going to check in on this, even though that accident happened years ago. Yeah. Well, I think the Federation didn't care that much about it, which is kind of what they allude to on Angel 1. Why is the Federation taking interest in this now? They're suspicious. They are. For good reason. They can't really stand up to the Federation on a military level, so that always should make you nervous when dealing with a far superior military power that has interest in you. Didn't they say it was like 60 years since the last time they made contact? 62. Exactly. Way too long. I mean, two generations, really. Yeah. Yeah. So they establish them as having mid-20th century level tech. Like you do. They also have a city. They seem a little bit more fully realized of a civilization than some of these others that feel oddly remote and undeveloped. I did like that. They do say they want to maintain good diplomatic relations with Angel One. They want them to be part of the Federation eventually, or Mm -hmm. presently. We did like that there was a city on that point. You had mentioned in a previous podcast how you wished there was more fully realized civilizations. Urban. Specifically. And this is a classic example of one. And Mm -hmm. we finally get to see a partial city. We don't get to see all of it. I wish we could see more of it. A few street shots would be kind of cool. We just get the single room or two room And the painting of the cityscape. And that's it. 
One thing, though, it speaks to the civilization itself in that they are so remote and they have achieved this complex civilization with law and technology all by themselves. Yes. Without any outside help. So presumably there's quite a bit of hope for them in the future and what they can accomplish. It was a little unfortunate that they were humanoid. I wish, again, that they were an alien species not the same as us. And I know it's for cost-cutting measures that they just make them human. And I know that it's for the social commentary as well. But I have to say, I think it would carry better on a sci-fi level if they weren't human. I think with the specific social commentary they were trying to make in this episode, it did make the most sense to use humans. Yeah. In the other episodes with humanoids, we weren't sure what they were trying to say. And what they might have been saying by using humans was bad. In this episode, it feels okay. Maybe we're just tired of it now because they've been doing it. Too much. But in this episode, it serves the plot. Fair point. This group has a constitutional oligarchy. The oligarchy in question is a group of women called the mistresses, and the ultimate authority is the elected one, like you mentioned. Right. Beata. She's an important character in this episode. Beata. 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 Deanna talks to them from the ship. She does. Because they thought it's probably better for them to hear a woman because they are a matriarchy, like through and through. Completely. That's the social commentary on Angel One, of course. Men and women have roles that are completely flipped from historic Earth, 100% flipped. They don't think men are really capable of much, which... Based on their men, you know, it's hard to say. Did they make them that way because of social expectations or are they naturally weaker? That's the question. Mm. And you can't really find out until you start to let people have more freedom within society. Which in this episode, it's clear that they do not want to happen. They want to keep and maintain that level of matriarchal control through the actions that the elected one takes. Yeah, she's a traditionalist. Completely. Deanna talks to them. Well, she actually talks to the elected one. The Angel One people don't seem too thrilled about the Federation being there. But when Deanna kind of pauses after a very terse greeting, Deanna says, actually, we're just here for the pods. It's not really about diplomatic relations. You can see her kind of hesitating and making that decision based on what she's sensing, which I thought was good. Beata is like, okay, you can come and then just hangs up. In this episode, they successfully developed a mystery that's off ship. Right. Yeah, which I enjoyed. It was nice to see Troy having a leadership role. Yes. She's having to make decisions in the moment. Mm -hmm. Not like what she likes to do, which is to think about it, take in information, process, then come back with a decision. Right. Or an evaluation. In this case, she had to, on the fly, like you said, make that call and be like, okay, I'm sensing hostility here. And now we're going to actually tell them what we're after, which is the survivors or just the pods or any information. Right. You mentioned earlier that it's sort of on the way, and I think it's important to bring up what they're on the way to. It's the first example of the neutral zone. We kind of learn that there is trouble brewing on the borders between the Federation and the Romulan Empire. Yeah, this is the first time we hear about the neutral zone and I think the Romulans. It's possible there was some really offhanded remark about Romulans that we missed, but I think this is really the first time. There might have been one. Yeah, there might have been. They've done a good job actually mentioning things before they come up, like in completely different episodes. Yes. By the end of the episode, really starting to worry about these Romulans and what's going on, and it seems very urgent and problematic. The real strength of the show is the foreshadowing. Yeah, because in this episode, they have this whole conflict being foreshadowed that they don't get to. 
in this episode, but it still feels urgent. At this point, by the way, we do see the holodeck is back to normal. <laughs> I know everyone was worried about the holodeck. I was too. <laughs> Wesley and Wesley's friend are just going to their ski lesson like nothing went wrong and they couldn't possibly die in an avalanche on the holodeck. Oh, of course not. No one ever gets hurt or mortally injured on the holodeck. Impossible. Couldn't happen. <laughs> so the away team to Angel One is Troy, Yar, Riker, and Data. Hold it. Did you just say <laughs> Riker? Yes, Picard doesn't seem to notice what Riker is like in some key aspects. <laughs> Would you say his <clears throat> prowess aspects? Yeah, that one. The uh, His uh, lady killer aspects? Yeah, uh, Picard is not paying attention to that. Not at all. Now, he does end up being useful on Angel One. <laughs> in a diplomatic situation. Yeah, very touchy diplomatic situation. <laughs> but honestly, knowing what they knew at the beginning of the episode, they should have sent an all-female team. I was very surprised that he was on the away mission. Okay, Data's an android, and he's less offensive in that regard, I think. Yes. But Riker is, in this show particularly, the epitome of a manly man. He's a go-getter. He's a playboy. He's the representative of patriarchy. Maybe they, from a writing standpoint, put him there for contrast and to see the drama between this matriarchy and him being a very strong proponent of 24th century patriarchy, whatever version or form that is. He tries to sell himself as a proponent of equality, but as the show progresses, I don't know if he really holds to those ideals as strongly as he likes to say he does. I think he is a moderate, but only because that's appropriate in the era in which he lives. Mm. They're showing a traditional, classic male personality in this setting that they've established in the 24th century, showing that those kind of men can live in the society they've created. They don't have to have a patriarchy, and they still are like that. In a different time and place, he'd be completely different. Okay. He's not a free-thinking, progressive, open-minded person. No. He's just a product of his time in that way. We both agree, though, that mm -hmm. he was a bad choice for this mission. Definitely. And like you said... A stronger female away mission would have been preferred. From a meta perspective, they have a bit of a problem because they only have so many main characters to send. They can't send Beverly because of the imminent medical emergency. Right. And then all they have then is Yar and Troy. So they do send both Yar and Troy. Unfortunately, they got rid of Chief Engineer, what's her name, from the very second episode? Right. Or third, sorry, the third episode. She would have been great. Her dry, no-nonsense demeanor. Yeah. I think she would have been skeptical, but they would have respected her, which would have been a good mix. Yeah. Just highlights that they don't actually have four women to send. Where is Whoopi Goldberg? We need her. She would have been great. She could have handled it alone. <laughs> <laughs> She's the most overqualified person on the ship. Exactly. For her job. She mm -hmm. could probably do any position. Probably. Yes. Looking forward to her showing up. Yes. <laughs> So they get there. They went with not making the women seem like Earth males. Right. They're still what we would call feminine. Okay. They're, you know, tall and strong and have assertive personalities. And they have some baked-in attitudes about male inferiority that's clearly just a product of their culture. 
not necessarily something they've come to on their own. I agree. Which means they could potentially be changed. I think any species has the potential for change. That's true, but this is definitely not an inherent characteristic of their species. Yes. It's just cultural. Because, indeed, the men that we see are very weak and subservient. In their physical attributes? And their attitudes. They seem fine with it. Again, is that just a product of their culture or not? We don't know in such a rigidly matriarchal society. I don't know. Who knows? They're not reaching their potential. They wear really revealing clothing. It shows a lot of chest. (laughs) Yes. And it's very tight in the pants, showing off the assets. Indeed. Although the men we see are very hairless and boyish, which makes quite a contrast with Riker later on. His quite hairy chest. Yeah. Prominently displayed in his rippling biceps and pectorals. So they have this initial conference with the mistresses. They really seem to be holding back, and we and the away team are not sure what's going on. Yes. When they get to their quarters, Troy says she senses a lot of fear. That's about all she gets out of them. But it is an interesting mystery. Do they even have these survivors? Will the away team be able to get to them? We have no idea at this point. What's wrong? Even in that scene, we can see there's some division among the mistresses Mm -hmm. on what to do about these foreigners coming in. One of the women in particular, Ariel, seems keen on not assisting them. She, in fact, wants to send them away empty-handed. Well, we find that out in their next meeting. We do see that they're not all in agreement about turning over the survivors of the Odin. If there even are survivors, they won't even admit to that at Mm -hmm. first. They eventually, very begrudgingly, do admit that they are survivors. And that they're fugitives. That's what we find out. Fugitives, because they will not adhere to the matriarchal code of conduct. So we cut back to the ship. Picard and Worf are hanging out. Oh, yeah. And they're talking about the Romulans, like we mentioned. Yes. Picard gets hit with a snowball by Wesley. He's definitely very perturbed at the intrusion being smacked in the face by that snowball. He seems extremely disgusted by the situation and is ready to snap and does snap pretty hard at Wesley. At that time, Worf smells something. He does. He thinks it smells wonderful. (laughs) Picard smells it too, right? And doesn't think it smells wonderful. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of cut away from that and leave us wondering what that's about. Now, was that smell, for conjecture's sake, Coming from the holodeck? They really didn't allude one way or the other on that. I lean towards yes. Once again, the holodeck is trying to kill the whole crew. They weren't trying to establish that, I don't believe, or try to make us more suspicious of the holodeck. It's almost like the writers are possessed, unaware of themselves, you know, (laughs) And, and being suspicious of the holodeck and making it look bad, and they don't even know what they're doing. But seriously, if not that, where on earth would it have come from? Well, wasn't Wesley and that other boy one of the first to get infected? And then they said the entire team... Yeah, that class. ...get infected. Yeah, the skiing trip class. So therefore, there was something on the holodecks conjuring that infected them. The virus came from that snowy mountaintop. I think so, too. I mean, that's where they smelled it. That's who got sick. And they haven't beamed anything aboard in that time frame. That was new. Right. The holodeck is trying to get him. Totally. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. Also to that point is Picard gets hit as well as Worf get hit. And they get sick in that order. Picard gets sick first. And then the after effect of it, 
Worf gets sick later. Yes. And then Worf, of course, passes it to Geordi, and on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. It's very, very virulent. There's some comic elements played in with Picard being so grumpy when he's sick and Worf's insane Klingon sneezes. But this is the exact kind of thing we've been alluding to. A new disease that they don't understand that could just wipe out everyone. Yeah. That really could have happened. Pretty much the entire ship was sick. No one knew what to do. They only have one doctor. That's even more clear in this episode than it has been up till now. Yes. She may have medical orderlies assistance people, but she's it. She's it for treatment and potential cures of new things. They could have all died. They should have a whole medical team. Maybe have a virologist on board. Someone who could specialize in actually finding these cures, these inoculants. I know they're trying to give Beverly more to do as a main character, so she has to save the day in all senses of the word. But I really feel this is a shortcoming in the logic of the ship functioning. Perhaps it's a reflection of the pride and arrogance of Starfleet. They think they can handle it with their normal medical staffing on a ship when they're going out where no man has gone before. And they don't know what they're going to encounter. Roll credits. Yeah. Also, poor Beverly. Yeah, she's amazing. I wrote down, actually, she does not get enough credit. No. She's a general practitioner. She treats everyone, deals with all their problems. And then she's an amazing researcher, creating vaccines on the fly as needed and managing not to get sick herself. It's fine that they want her to be strong and save the day. But she's the only one that we see as a main character who has to go it alone. She doesn't have any support or anyone else who knows what's going on. It almost forces her into, again, to use this word, ex machina moment. Mm-hmm. She always figures out the cure just in the nick of time. The way in which that they put all the pressure on her. And it's totally unrealistic mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. The only thing that really makes sense is that they are arrogant, which is a running theme throughout this show. But the real payoff to that would be they do actually all die and then learn something about how to medically staff their ships. Morbid. But in this very episode, you see the contrast of the way the officers work with the baton passing as each person gets sick. You know, there's another person to take their place. Right. And Beverly doesn't have that. No. And it's very unfair to (sighs) her. Yeah. Anyway, I'm mad for Beverly. She (laughs) deserves better. She's overworked and underappreciated. Data sprays himself with perfume, <laughs> which is very cute. That's amazing. A lot of stuff in this episode about smelling and sensual pleasures or not. Mm. I feel like there wasn't quite enough there to really make a comment on exactly what they were trying to say. They just seemed interested in it in this episode. Yeah, they were really focused on the smell aspect of everything. The yeah. virus is being transmitted through smells, we later learn. There's the perfume, the whole discussion between Data and the rest of them about smell and sex. Yeah, he doesn't understand why that would enhance sex, which honestly, yeah, I don't get it either, Data. Maybe I'm an android. Oh, we've already known that (laughs) for years. Beata really wants the survivors gone. We don't know yet the full extent of why, and she needs their help. So we find out there's four survivors, and they are fugitives. Like I mentioned earlier, they don't abide by the governing rules of women in charge. Mm-hmm. The men from the Federation are used to being treated as equals because they're not really part of the Federation. They're more just traitors. Perhaps they're used to being superiors even. 
They're minors. They're just free agents doing their thing like an alien. Exactly. You know, they're not under anyone's control most of the time. Which is a point that's brought up later that they're not abiding by the prime directive. They have no need to do so and no obligation to do so because they're not part of the Federation. Right. They're not representatives or military people. They're just normal people. Normal Joes. Yep. Doing the schmojo thing. <laughs> we see people getting sick on the ship. Wesley and his henchman. <laughs> his... Does he even have a name? No. Get sick. Picard gets sick. Okay, Picard sick is hilarious. He is insanely grumpy. It's very funny. He's in denial at first. I'm fine. I have so much to do. It's all on me. And it's his lack of general insight and wisdom that Mm -hmm. really clues you in that everything is not great. He usually has much more self-awareness. Not when it comes to his body, though. He was similar with his headache (laughs) in a previous episode. That's true. The battle. Mm. He was totally in denial about that as well. He is a kind of person who isn't that focused on his body and doesn't like the idea that it could control what he has to do. Good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, she has to order him to his room. He asks, is that an order? And she says, yes, <laughs> get out. And then Jordy gets the con. Oh, that was awesome. Because the first and second officer are off playing on Angel 1. Riker has Beata. Data, Data has, has perfume. Jordy <laughs> <laughs> really likes it. He caresses the arms of the captain's chair. And confidently says, make, make it, it so. <laughs> Great stuff. They continue to establish that Ariel in particular is acting very suspicious of the Enterprise and what they want. And I wrote down, what could they possibly want? They're not here to conquer your planet or they would have just done it. Of course, later we find out she's actually married to Ramsey. (laughs) So she has other motivations. She's acting out of self-interest. Yeah, but the way she's acting is just head scratching at the time. It's very hostile. Yeah. Doesn't want them there, wants them gone. Is trying absolutely everything that she can do to stop them from making contact with Ramsey. Riker has requested an official meeting with Beata and gets his official man on Angel One garb for that. Troy and Yar are just beside themselves. They think it's so funny. Now, it is sexualized in a way we're not used to seeing men be sexualized, perhaps. Mm. However, on the whole, the outfit was pretty consistent with what we've seen as casual wear in this era. They wear a lot of loose pants and tunics. This is just a sexy version of that. Yeah. Honestly, I think they overreacted a little. Yeah, they really pushed it for comedic effect, but it's not realistic that they would be so over the top about it. It wasn't that different than, say, a modern day bathrobe. Right, which is basically what we see as casual wear. Yeah. Like, Lore had a kind of bathrobe thing in the last episode. That's right. Because they couldn't put him in a uniform. This is just a more sexy, glamorous version of that. The glittery blue color looks great with his eyes. I mean, I could see finding it funny to see someone you think of as very serious and straight-laced suddenly dress that way. But it's not as hilarious and odd as they act like it is. Picture this. It's not Riker in that outfit. It's Picard. Well, that's just wrong. Now, that would be funny. No, wait. When they have a shore leave episode and Picard is wearing civilian clothes, it is kind of open in the top, isn't it? Actually, yes. I think that's just how they dress. Maybe it's just because it's so colorful. They wear a lot of neutral clothes. That's true. It's very colorful. And it's more colorful than the other men on the planet we've seen so far. 
I think it's more the evening gown version. Perhaps it's because they know his true intentions. <laughs> mm-hmm. They know that this diplomatic arranged meeting is really just a code for him <laughs> to make his move. But he doesn't make a move. He acts like he's not interested for a little bit there. Yeah, that's a gambit. That's his thing, apparently. It's very confusing to me. He's very suggestive with his looks, long, lingering, interested looks. And then when it comes down to it, he says, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. Like, he plays hard to get. It's weird. He's doing that, though, because he knows that's exactly what she wants. I know. But we've seen him do this a couple times now. Apparently women in this generation want that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Beata is so attracted to him because he's so much more strong. He is masculinity as she knows it, but supercharged version. Yes. In the Starfleet world, the men and the women are both powerful, fully realized versions of themselves. Yes. That's what they're used to. But in a society like Angel One's, it's just the women who realize that potential, not the men. So she's seeing that for the first time since Ramsey anyway. Ramsey and his crew, what equalized masculinity looks like. And honestly, she finds it hot. She does. I think that might factor in at least a little into her eventual decision about Ramsey. I agree. So they find Ramsey using some platinum tracking. Same kind of thing they did in Star Trek Beyond when they tracked a special metal in Uhura's necklace. That's right. They find Ramsey. He's a Kurt Russell knockoff. Completely. Yeah. They're very confused at first with his reaction. He expects them, which we don't know why yet, but again, that's Ariel. He doesn't want to leave and reminds them they can't force him to leave and reveals that his men have taken wives and some of them have kids. Some rebels on Angel One. They're breeding the next nation that will eventually potentially challenge the matriarchy. And they've started their own way of life and community here on the planet, presumably not far from the capital of this other civilization because Ariel is able to get from one to the other. Perhaps they have transporter capabilities like Federation do. Maybe they're more advanced than they thought. They also have that execution device. That's nothing like we had in 20th century Earth. Yes, nothing like that. So it was kind of a matter disintegration, which kind of plays into what you're saying. They've learned how to disintegrate and perhaps even reform matter. Yeah. At this point, transfer it into energy form. Clearly, they're more advanced than the Federation surmised. So Ramsey tells them no. They go back to the capital. Then we see, oh, Ariel is with Ramsey. She's his wife. They come back to Riker and Beata talking about how men can know what they want and be interesting. And then they have to say, no, Ramsey won't leave. We failed. And Beata is mad and says she's going to have them executed. And she can easily round them up, which we find out is true. She's been kind of not catching them on purpose. Seems like she's been letting it slide for maybe Ariel's sake. We do see she doesn't really want to kill them, for one thing. She seems really upset at the execution. Perhaps it's one of those things where she kind of found out recently, has been sort of sitting on it, not Mm -hmm. sure what to do. And so the presence of the Federation has really brought this whole situation to a head. And now she's face to face with it. and She has to deal with it right then as a leader. She really doesn't want to, which is probably why Riker is able to convince her later on. So we see some Beverly, the bedside doctor, treating Picard. He's a terrible patient. But then she realizes what's going on, that the virus is spreading through smell, and runs off to make the cure. She is a researcher at heart. I agree. Yeah. When it comes down to it, exciting new ideas about treatment versus a patient, she just runs away from the patient (laughs) to develop the treatment. 
Well, at that point, I think she had finished what she was trying to do, but I agree. Yeah, but even as tired and worried as she is, she's excited. You can see the enthusiasm. She's ready to go and fix it. Yeah, she's going to be famous, probably get some kind of award. One can hope. (laughs) She deserves it. At least her shore leave with the trashy novel, like we talked about in uh, Justice. Yes. She's still due for that. Completely. Overdue. They could have done a great shore leave just for the ladies on the ship on Angel One. Yeah. But no. Riker says, please just let me take them. Let me take the prisoners, who they've already captured. Like we said, they had no trouble capturing them. Beata agrees. I did note this was the first time we've seen one of these so-called less advanced civilizations, or maybe any of the other civilizations, being willing to listen and change their minds. Good point. Again, though, they're actually just humans, so that might factor in. They don't want to go. Riker is willing to risk a court-martial rather than let so many people just be executed when he could have stopped it. He's very impassioned, wants to do everything he can. He seems like he's really taking ownership of the situation. It's now his problem, Mm -hmm. and he's going to do absolutely everything he can to make sure that it ends in a way that life is spared. He doesn't want to see any of them killed. He is willing to go to great lengths to ensure that, which is consistent with his personality because we've seen in Hide and Q how much he cares about the well-being of others and that he really feels strongly it's his job as a Starfleet officer to look out for everyone and try to help the lesser as much as possible. With all his bravado, he does care a lot about the downtrodden and the people they can help. As the show goes on, we see he's actually much less ambitious than we would assume. He refuses his own ship to stay with Picard, for example. That's right. He does care more about helping and improving the world as it is through Starfleet than, you know, his own vain ambition. Yes, I agree. He has a soft spot. And that might be his best quality as a character is his development of his ability to care for others and to put their needs above his own. Ultimately, the whole thing with the disease seems to be a plot device to keep Ramsey's crew on the planet and the away team on the planet when they could have just left because Beverly won't let them beam up with the medical emergency going on. That's the key intersection of the two A and B plots. Yes, she's absolutely right. Yes, they should not let new people come aboard when the ship is under quarantine. Yeah, now she has figured out how the virus spreads, but has not treated it at this point. So they send Data alone to go to the neutral zone to defeat the Romulans. Single-handedly, he's <laughs> going to save the day. And They don't really think it'll take much. That's part of the conflict. That's yeah. right. All they need to do is show up, pretty much. But they can't leave because of the situation with the disease. And he goes and follows it to the letter of the law, as we find out. We see that he waits to the last possible second that he's calculated he can before he jettisons off to save the day and Mm -hmm. reach the neutral zone. He's going to wait and give Beverly as much time as he can to come up with this cure. So that the away team can come back. Exactly. And potentially Ramsey and his people. We're seeing a machine-like efficiency from him, and it's really his strength. A machine-like efficiency married to a human heart. Ah, Data. Ah, Data. Beverly figures it out and tells Data, because they're like the only people left standing on the ship. Right. And that leads to our Data of the day. She says, bingo. She's got it. And Data says, bingo. I fail to see the relevance, doctor. A reminder that he doesn't understand human idioms and is still working on that. He has some room to grow there. 
So they go to the execution. Like we mentioned, Beata is upset. As much as they're like, we can execute people, capital punishment is part of our society. I think they're alluding to the idea that they are moving on from this. Even though they still do it, they are not comfortable with it. I agree. She's not comfortable being the one who's made the decision to execute people. She is wrestling with it physically mm-hmm. as well as emotionally. The way she's sort of pacing. Yeah, I thought the actress did a good job portraying that without really saying anything. Another thing I liked about the society is they show her when Riker and she are debating a little bit before the trial. They show her shuffling papers and doing the work of state, which is not something we have seen a lot. Like, she still has papers. The Federation, they move beyond that. It does seem more advanced and based on a legal system and normal proceedings than some of these other societies we've seen. And that's been really nice. I really like that they had a more advanced, complete, three-dimensional society presented to us, unlike some of the very paper-thin, two-dimensional characters we've gotten in other episodes. She's not just passing on edicts. She has to deal with the other members of the oligarchy and sign papers and things like that. That's good. At the trial, Riker pulls a Picard, is what I wrote. He makes an impassioned plea, says, You can execute Ramsey if you want, but he's just a symbol for changes that are already happening on your planet. You're just going to make him a martyr, and martyrs can't be silenced, and you're only trying to stop evolution. Presumably, he's basing this on his knowledge of the way the patriarchy changed on Earth. Mm. Although I have to say, I think he was reaching a little bit, saying that there was already change happening. That may be true, but I don't think he knew that. It was an educated guess on his part. But you're absolutely right. He did pull up a card there. Mm -hmm. He was quite logical, I thought, in his arguments. They were very persuasive. Knowing Riker as we do, which we know him maybe the best out of all the characters, or close. He was reaching deeper for this. He really cared about it and was getting to some other place in himself where he could imagine a little bit more and be more transcendent in his arguments. He was not the Riker who wouldn't believe anything unless he sees it and shuts people down. The higher cause inspired him to a higher level of thought and persuasion. That's right. He really is channeling can see the positive effect of their relationship together. Mm-hmm. The show just continues to bear that out. He really does admire Picard that much, to imitate him even to that extent. Yeah, I agree. It's a wonderful arc to witness, and I can't wait to see more of it. His speech doesn't seem to do anything at first, because tension, and then they're ready to kill Ramsey, and all it takes, the straw on the camel's back after all that, is just Ariel saying, Beata. In an impassioned tone. That's it. Yep. And that's what flips it. And Beata stays the execution and offers them exile, which they're totally willing to take. They'd rather live in their own society unencumbered anyway. Beata is not as cold as she wants to seem. She's maybe starting to change her mind. She's just not ready to fully embrace what's going on yet. And she takes her responsibility seriously. She doesn't want to be the one to just change everything and overthrow all their traditions all at once. Riker's plea... Mm-hmm. And Riker himself has influenced her, whether yes. she realizes it or not. And she can kind of see that men could probably be more than she's, at this point, evaluating them to be. That they can be competent, not unintelligent, and they are just as viable as females in their society. She's an intelligent person and isn't so proud that she can't bend a little. And that's to her credit. Yes, very much. 
I had some thought that it shouldn't have been Riker to deliver the speech. Troy. Right. But then I realized in this situation, he is representing the oppressed class, even though he is very much not oppressed in his life. (laughs) No. (laughs) It was probably appropriate because it made more sense coming from a man. Plus, like we discussed, some good development for his character. Very good development. But it would have been a nice moment to see Troy shine. She has so much potential, too, and we don't get to see her enough. I agree. Missed opportunity there. Yeah. Maybe even if they didn't have her do that part, they could have used her more. She didn't do much. After that initial brilliance of having her make the call, Mm -hmm. which is really Picard's doing, she has still shown a lack of initiative and needs to develop that further for her personal growth. From a writing standpoint, I absolutely agree that this was a Riker episode again, Mm -hmm. really pushing him forward, trying to get him to be more developed, reach deeper into himself, like you said. And I think that they did a good job with portraying that. I think Picard should have assigned Troy to be in charge of the away party. I agree. Like, straight up. They're kind of working as a team, which is great. They're really good about that, ignoring their hierarchy unless they really need to use it. Over and over, Riker is clearly in charge of the away mission. And yeah, I think Picard should have said, okay, away team, Troy, you're in charge since this is a female-dominated planet and you're a great diplomat. Pick your people and go. That would have been really good. That would have been great to see. Again, if they had at least one or two more females on the ship that were main characters, we could have seen that develop. For example, Riker's meeting with Beata could have been Troy. It was supposed to be a real meeting, not just them having sex, remember? Right, and he just took it and made it sex. Yeah, Yeah, Troy should have said, okay, you know, Mistress Beata, I'd like to request a formal meeting to discuss this, and it could have been two powerful women, you know, having their conversation. That would have been interesting. They could have even still had Riker there and have him come in as a dark horse at the very end and really shock all the women with how intelligent and thoughtful he was as a man and how that changed the tide a little. And then Beata grabs him and throws him across the bed. Well, yeah, she's obviously into strong men, whether or not she wants to admit it. I think they're trying to show that deep down, people do want an equal in the opposite sex. Mm. And society works best if everyone is strong and capable, not just one half. I definitely think that's the clear message from this story, is that equality rules overall. So they save the day. The away team comes back onto the ship to head off to the neutral zone. And Picard is trying to run the show, but he is so sick, he can't even get out the words. He's lost his voice. (laughs) Engage! And Nada probably knows what he said, but he won't do it unless he gets the explicit order. So Riker has to say it, and he's very entertained. (laughs) And that's it. That was great. It was very funny. Picard is a great, grumpy, old, sick guy. Patrick Stewart did a fantastic job acting that excellent portrayal. Okay, so let's get to our final ratings. I thought this was a good Star Trek entry. It had a well-developed civilization that they got to interact with. Had a few bumps, parts where they could have had some key characters shine even more, like we mentioned with Troy. There was some really great comedic moments with Data, with Worf, with Picard, with Beverly, and that was awesome to see. So I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 flashy male garments. I enjoyed this episode more than I thought I would. They were very clear from the very beginning that it was going to be a social issue episode by introducing a matriarchal society. I was nervous about that. 
I thought they exhibited the most sophisticated and delicate touch so far for a social issue episode, and especially for a humanoid alien episode. The other ones have been painful. This was not painful. Their society felt well-realized. It was more nuanced than they even had to make it to make the point. Like we said, there were some really missed opportunities. But I thought the dialogue was good, and the approach to the topic was more than decent. And ultimately, it didn't feel awkward or forced, which is about all I can ask for from a social issue episode from the 80s. Overall, I did like it. It constantly surprised me with being a little bit better than I expected. So I would give it 7.5 out of 10 Platinum Wings. This has been Season 1, Episode 14, Angel 1. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Add us at the Next Next Gen.